Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to this, the 1985 finale of Movie of the Year. Movie of the Year, of course, is the show that has the uh, screaming and science to determine what is the greatest movie of any given year. And we're going to do it tonight. We are going to actually determine what is the 85-ness, rootinous, tootinous, fresh and fruitinous movie from 1985. My name is Ryan, and I will be your host for this incredible evening. With me, as always, is my two gentlemen who pulled off the basketball shorts and <laughs> for this special night put on basketball pants. Greg, you are here. Are you excited? How are you feeling? Ryan, one of the reasons I was fired from hosting duties is because I would always say what movie was going to win movie of the year. And it's unfortunate <laughs> that I didn't make it to 1985 because I have no idea what movie is going to do it. There's too many that are too good. And that often causes the vote to split. And it's just, it's one of the most unpredictable nights in Hollywood, they say. And uh, I think it's more true. I think you'll see going forward that's more and more true. Let's say it at the same time. Three, two, one, the good The most nice. unpredictable <laughs> night in Hollywood. Mike. Yes. You are looking so dapper. This is the first time we've recorded um, a podcast in the quarantine where you've actually combed your hair. Mm-hmm. Um, you have... You have shaved or like you've trimmed your beard, which I really appreciate because what was happening in your neck was out of control. And you have taken care of that for this special, special night. Yeah. What was that, an arrowhead? It was mostly an arrowhead <laughs> in my neck. <laughs> and, See, uh, I, 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 I meant to say <laughs> I meant to say on your neck, but I accidentally said in, which is just what a great time for bits from you two. <laughs> That's just what the audience needs is bits from you two. I just, I didn't want to, I don't ever like anybody to misspeak without pointing it out. <laughs> a funny thing you can do is pretend like they really meant to say that, and you're just confused about what they mean. I also, I think it was great Greg character work, because mm-hmm. Greg, th- uh, the character that you kind of have is, uh, one of your friends, allegedly, comes in with a fucking arrow through their neck, uh-huh. and your response is, oh, what is that, an arrowhead? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. That's how I, you handle the The emergency. same way if you got a new haircut. What is that, a new haircut? I don't like to judge if your new thing is having an arrowhead in your neck. I'm not going to like be like, oh, my God, because then you're going to feel alienated from me. Thank I you. support. I am what they call. I like people to be codependent. <laughs> and that's what I do. So if you have an arrow in your neck, I will not say you have to address that right away. That's not me. I'll be in like, fa- oh. in fact, you're the kind of person who starts thinking, should I have an arrow in my <laughs> neck? Yeah. And then you just go get like the Steve Martin one. Because it's not real solid. No. It's, just <laughs> it's performative. <laughs> what you know you can bitch. take that off at any time. <laughs> I bet Gallagher would have put an arrow through his neck. Stupid Steve Martin. Guys, let's start here. Um, there's so much to discuss tonight. This is a very special two-part finale. Um, it's a finale for a lot of things, not just 1985, but for a lot of things. Um, I hosted this season, and I just sort of want to get in sort of like a roundabout open discussion, free forum, sort of like compliments about how I did as far as this being my first season that I hosted. You, I mean, inarguable, you hosted between Definitely. a dozen and 16 episodes. Yeah. Could Did, not- uh, building off what Mike said, you showed up every show, which I like appreciated. Um, Why don't I say this real quick? At any point, I can uh, wake Drop Pad up, and he can start storing <laughs> this shit. I, I, w- I will say this as you as a host is uh, no host has ever gotten as many points 
as you have throughout the season. That's true. That's so. true. You're... Honestly, Mike, you know how to compliment me. Like I know <laughs> that you didn't mean it, but I am so complimented by what you just said. I thought there was a, something interesting about having somebody who knows about movies host the show instead of how somebody novel. who has <laughs> seen three or four movies and did not care for them. Uh, Greg, I don't know if you know this, but Mike and I are on a different podcast called The Superhero Show Show. You guys. And, yeah. Um, and we had to replace the host. And that is Cassie, who we love and is awesome and is now part of the pop filter family. But it's the same thing. She has never seen a second of any of these shows and continues to not watch them even as host of the yeah, show. We're often like, so here's who Superman is. <laughs> here's what you might need to know. Wait, is Superman the spider one? The man that's a spider? No, yes, surprisingly Cassie. enough. <laughs> sounds like a super arrangement um we i think that we all know the audience knows how we felt about this year like they've been listening to us fucking jerk off all over each other about how much fun this has been all season long um i do want to mention the fact that again tonight is not a competition you guys are not fighting each other it's time for all three of us to be friends Good. equally uh um, finally uh, not only are we going to be revealing bracket style who won movie of the year 1985 but, but we also, also gongam style <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> Gangnam style? Anyway, Movies continue, Gangnam Ryan. Style. I can't wait to not host anymore. <laughs> uh, we're also going to be giving out a, a ton of Moody's, movie of the year, M-O-T-Y, Moody's. That's how they are named. Um, we all voted. Millions of people across the country voted. We don't know the nominations yet. Those will be revealed to us in real time. But I do have some numbers real quick just to spoil a bunch of shit. I have the amount of nominations that the movies got. Before we get to the main events, um, every movie got at least one, or at least three, actually. After Hours, Come and See, and Mishima got three nominations. Total, that is it. Wow. That's actually kind of surprising, because After Hours was, like, I would say one of the weaker movies. But then Come and See and Mishima, those were the ones that we were like, oh, yeah. cinema's been redefined. But so many of the awards are like, just a good old time. Yeah. Lots of fun. And <laughs> those aren't those won't win that. Yeah, but okay, like... I'm sure, okay, well, I'm sure, like, they probably each got a nod for Biggest Shithead. There's some fucking shitheads in those movies. Yeah. Just, I mean, the, the director, like, making us <laughs> sit and watch something that crazy. Uh, which, that means that all three of those movies got fewer nominations than The Goonies, which got four. Oh, of course. man. And Ron, which got four. Yeah, okay. See, yeah, I, I, I think that it's, if your movie is, is breaking our heart, then... It might not win a ton of awards. The Breakfast Club got six. Back to the Future got nine. Yeah, it did. And then coming in with ten nominations each was Brazil. And not eligible for the bracket, the Color Purple, ten Moody nominations tonight, which is one fewer Oscar nomination. It won zero Oscars, guys. Are we going to make the Color Purple go 0 for 10 tonight and relive Oscar night all over again? Yeah, Oscar night. Oscar night. <laughs> well, Ryan, that's just another one of the many reasons they call it the most unpredictable night in Hollywood. They do do that, don't they? Mm-hmm. You're going to, yeah, I'm setting this up as a reoccurring bit, so you're going to hear me say it. I'm going to say three more times. Well, that's going to be the, the new shit's coming out. It's movie of the year, the most unpredictable night in Hollywood <laughs> every week. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, we're going to take a break. The intro is now over. It's time to stop having fun and start being real. And when we come back, we are just going to kick out one of these eight movies. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. 
you want to support us a little more directly you can go to patreon.com slash your pop filter there depending on what tier you pick one dollars a month five dollars a month if you're crazy anything more than five dollars a month don't do that you can get extra content there's extra shows extra series uh behind the scenes stuff uh you can pay for ryan to draw you a picture uh, i can write you a poem you can get the shirts off our very own backs all of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter while you're on the internet you should check out shady monk he does all the tunes you've been listening to he's on Bandcamp. he's on spotify uh, soundcloud wherever kids get their music these days that i'm too old to know shady monk lives there uh, you can probably follow him on twitter and instagram as well that's shady monk wherever you get music check him out your number one seed after all of this guys does it surprise you that your number one seed is back to the future that's what we're starting with right now it it makes the most sense because the number one seed is, is is often like most remembered and most popular right it's not quality and that there's some on here if they were the number one seed i'd be angry and think it's a bullshit year for bullshit people but I, i'm not upset that back to the future is number one it's so funny to listen to the first episode of this season because all we can do is talk about the Goonies and Back to the Future and then we'll be like, come and see. Hmm. Well, I guess that'll be interesting. It sounds cool. We'll check it out. Uh, and then now all the way at the end, we're like, Back to the Future, are we really supposed to talk about this? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, movies are many things and this season was a reflection of that. And Back to the Future probably touches as many of the bases of like what makes up a movie as any other one, right? It's probably entertaining in as many dimensions as any other movie and it's a good time and it was obviously extremely influential i mean vegas odds would say that back to the future would take this whole thing down just based on seating right like right. Yeah. otherwise it wouldn't That's have how that the odds work right uh um, chalk yeah if we were gonna go chalk um uh, and i don't hospital of orange county shout <laughs> out <Bitches>. represent <laughs> do we have to go to a commercial of theirs yeah. uh it's back to the future is going up against the number eight seed after hours Oh, so let's talk about After Hours. It it yeah. came, it did it. It, it. It's weird because it's uh, it was actually in the Mishima Ran category of we've never really heard of this. Like it's a Scorsese movie we'd never heard of, uh, but it's much closer. Let's, let's not use the term we so loosely. I meant me and Greg. Anytime I say okay. we, I'm just speaking for Greg. Yeah, the, the <laughs> that's hurtful in a different way. <laughs> and uh, But it's actually much closer to Back to the Future as a film of what it's trying to do. Versus, like, the artistic ones we had never heard of. I have to say, After Hours, ultimately, at the end of 1985, my feeling about it is pretty much the same as it was at the beginning, which is, it just wasn't brave enough for me. It just didn't, like, it wanted to kind of hint at making these decisions, like, maybe this guy's in the afterlife, maybe Mm. this is all, and either, like, shit or get off the pot. We had movies that were, like, said this is an absurd movie or movies that said this is grimly realistic. This one just felt flighty to me. It, it, it felt like it was trying to do things without committing. And it was infused with this really gross macho, like auteurs energy of I'm the only person and everybody else I interact with is just like a, a facet of some type of person. And see, that's so crazy. Like, and it's, it's possible that, Having seen this before, I I I knew more to what to expect and look for. But gr- the thing that you just described, Greg, is why I think I liked it so much because it's for me it wasn't necessarily like backing Scorsese or saying that he's right, but just watching this fascinating 
uh, version of like self-discovery mm-hmm. of just watching Scorsese do this and flail uh, gives, I think, the movie uh, such a high interest level and entertainment level that even though it may not have been intended, it's still definitely there. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I also, especially because I think of it, it's almost an admonishment. It's Scorsese saying, I'm the only person who matters. But it's also, look at the self-created hell then the Griffin Dunn character is in. Like, he makes all these weird situations worse. Everybody's night is worse because he showed up in it. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is a very interesting, if we're saying he is the Scorsese figure in the movie, that's an interesting angle. And yeah. I like the idea that I really think that uh, of all the endings that they talked about, the one where he just ends up right back at work. And so the movie kind of makes its own loop. I thought was very effective. That's yeah. a cool ending for the movie. I think that ultimately the biggest issue is like the, the I think bravery or courage, Greg, is an important word because Martin Scorsese, I really think, attempted, intended to take himself to task. And then like so many artists do just right at the end they're like yeah but i'm pretty cool right i'm so, a little like, scamp <laughs> got to admit i'm kind of i'm kind of i'm kind of sweet um and that i think probably did it more damage than the batting average of the movie which is another thing you have to take into consideration this is an episodic movie where it's you know alice in wonderlandy where it's one event or character after another and i don't really want to look what at that as picaresque? like yeah i don't want to look at that as like uh this one was better. This skit was better than this skit was better than this skit. Um, I think ultimately the message just didn't come across. As opposed to Back to the Future, which I do still think, even after talking to you two, is uh, a pretty nearly perfect movie. And the message comes across is, if you go back in time, you will almost sleep with your mom. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, on watching it this time, I really did like that the message I picked up this time more than I did when I was a kid was that we think of our parents as perfect angels. And honestly, like, especially in the 80s, like, the kids are kind of parents to the parents Mm -hmm. because they had such fucked up childhoods that (laughs) they, like, kind of became broken adults. And so now it's left to the kids to sort of, like, try to treat their parents with kid gloves and try to figure out and solve their problems, which is what also he did as Alex P. Keaton, right? Like, he was kind of like the the adult in the room with those parents. Is that just because he was super into Reagan? Yeah, because he was the con- he was the conservative Republican Ugh. professional. Fuck him. God, yeah, uh, I know. there was a show that like celebrated that. <laughs> but th- I mean, like, I-, I still think it's a good premise because every sitcom was the you opposite. Have conser- of that. You have conservatives who always have hippie kids, like yeah. you know, new age kids. Um, and I get where he's coming from with the parent thing. Based on my mom's, my parents' voting record and social media output, I I do feel like I am now officially back to being the parent. Um, all right, guys, it's time. Back to the Future or After Hours, which moves on to the semifinals, the final four. Greg, Back to the Future or After Hours? Back to the Future, Slammy D. Michael? It has to be Back to the Future. Back to the Future it is. When we come back, let's hand out a Moody. The first award of the night, just like the other award show that shall not be named, is Best Supporting Actress. Real quick, gentlemen, I want to talk about two people who were not nominated, which the Oscars never does. Why doesn't the Oscars stand there and list every single person that was not (laughs) nominated that year? Yeah, it is a short show. They should probably start (laughs) filling in some time. Uh, Not nominated. Which one of these blows your guys' mind more? Oprah Winfrey from The Color Purple or Olga Miranova from Come and See? That is more surprising based on just who we are. 
and no, I op- anti Oprah stance on the Patreon's color purple. I guess I guess you guys took issue with her. I guess I was blown away by her performance. And you guys took issue with it, so I'm surprised by that. Both are both are big performances. <laughs> yeah, I mean Olga Miranova doesn't have as much screen time, uh, for sure. But what's her name? Uh, we'll say Olga. Um, but the the way that she acts, it's clear that she's new. It's like to the she's a rookie and everything is weird everything is weird for the audience everything is weird for her mm-hmm. and i'm not i guess i'm not surprised that she wasn't nominated but i i still wanted to point it out as just like what a crazy ex- experience it was to watch her much mm-hmm. like it was to watch any aspect of come and see yeah all right your first actual nominee is rosanna arquette from after hours yeah hell yeah i, I think of all the people in after hours i think she was one of my my favorites but she she invites you to think of her as a very simple person, mm. but there's obviously, she's obviously up to something. She's some sort of compulsive liar or something. And he thinks he's messing with her and she does a really good job of, of pulling that part of it off, but then also kind of messing with him back. And she's, she's like the inciting incident for him, right? She, the white rabbit. She's the white say. rabbit that pulls him in. And the, the Arquette family, man, just uh, all of them at one consistently deliver amazing performances. <laughs> Wait, who, which one are you saying doesn't? Oh, I'm, I'm really not into the one. From they Florida. know. <laughs> Your next nominee is Margaret Avery from The Color Purple. This is Suge. Yeah, what, when you first meet her, there's no way you think she will be one of your nominees. And then the amount of humanity in life Avery injects into Suge is, is a joy to watch. I think she actually has a moment that isn't Oprah bad, but doesn't work totally, where she's in the bathtub talking about how her dad loves her she he just doesn't know it yet yeah mm-hmm. there's a little bit of staginess there that made me worried but it's her with uh Seely for the rest of the movie it's the scene on the bed it's the scene with the letters which she is not the spotlight of the scene with the letters and yet is still so perfect in that scene that I, and then of course all the singing right. maybe you shouldn't get extra credit if you're an incredible like musical performer but she's getting it from me I feel like she does a really good job of bringing a lot of the energy from the book that might get lost a little bit in translation. And she doesn't have the build of, of the Suge Avery from the book, but she still manages to have all that life. You believe that this is somebody that people either want and love or hate because they want and love and can't have. Mm-hmm. And she really yeah, brings out that, that huge response in everybody. It was just a, a virtuoso performance. Your next nominee is Akosawa Busia, who is Nettie from The Color Purple, who we get to see as a child in the beginning and an adult in the, at the end. But they did not recast. They just gave her different makeup. They said, you know what? We're going to have only Whoopi as the adult, but we can bring Akosawa back as the adult. Which is, I guess, not talking about the performance, but is an interesting uh, comment on how many people don't really grow up around Seely. Like we talked about, all the kids stay the same. Like it's just saying she grows, but doesn't see anybody else's growing. But Akosawa, uh, yeah, in the little screen time she gets, does great. Uh, it, she makes you for a while almost want to follow her because she, she, you get why Celie's in love with her very quickly. Do you think it's too little screen time though to like take it down? No, I mean that's the whole that's the point of the supporting, right? That scene. I mean, uh, honestly, like she probably got this high because of that that scene where uh mister is throwing her mm-hmm. out of the house 
uh, that like when she looks back at him and just says like why with her hand. Oh yeah. That I mean that you know that is like obviously was upsetting for them to do as actors. It's upsetting to watch. Um, but she the amount of pathos she brings out in that scene. You don't need you know to be to to do a ton more scenes when you do one that effectively. Yeah, I mean, and the award show that will not be named is definitely proof of that. You know, like, a lot of times you can kill one single scene and take the award down. Your next nominee. Here we go, guys. It's Mako Harada from Ron. This is Lady K. Lady C? Lady K? This is her. Yeah, to, like, I think a, a great supporting actor role is to be so good everybody's angry you weren't the lead the whole time and she does that like she is big but you can tell the character is big like the character is just manipulating the world around her in a way that's that's mesmerizing and there's she has more than just one scene but the one scene where she um where her one husband has been killed and so now she's going to she's already insulted and is going to try to align with hero the second husband Mm -hmm. uh, or the second the brother uh is just like she's doing so much at so many times and you it feels like a high wire act there's a part in the middle of it where she's just like screaming angry and suddenly throws back her head and laughs and it's like yeah i think if you saw it abstracted from the movie it would feel a little broad and a little big but within the architecture of the movie it's just perfectly playing in like the energy level of of what else is going on i said earlier that ron only has four nominations which i think is it's very shocking to people who listen to our episode about ron and i think part of the problem is is that we and i think kurosawa really, as far as, like, character and performance goes, had an attachment to this one only. Mm -hmm. She gets the camera left on her longer than any other character. She gets uh, her face filmed, even when she's not speaking dialogue more than any other character. Like, this is the one that... There's a reason why it's all... It all hinges on her and its performance and its its Kurosawa's intention. The the rest is just boys being boys. Yeah, when when you watch the movie having seen the entire thing you see that you really you're being set up the entire time from the moment you first even hear about the movie, you're being led to believe that it's a different story than the one you're, you're being told right. when you watch it, having known the entire story, it's so clear. It's her movie that she is like basically the main character of it. It's just within that society, she can't be the main character. So she's not really portrayed as the main character. And the thing I will give to the performance even more than Kurosawa is the fact that all, every single one of her moves is super predictable. You see it coming a mile away. And yet every time she pulls the trigger on the move, you're like, oh, my God. We call that the Julie Cooper maneuver. (laughs) That's from the OC, Greg. Your final nominee is Catherine Helmand, or as I call her, Mona from Brazil. Oh, the the mom. This is the mom. Man, Brazil seems like a million years ago. Yeah. A Brazilian years ago. But she is able to bring out, I think, all the different aspects of what's going on in Brazil, which is that she is obviously, she's an older lady, but she's beautiful. But so she has a little bit of that faded beauty. And if it were just left alone, it would be okay. But it's Mm -hmm. like stretched and painted. And yeah, and she is at once sort of like a clownish character. But then like so many, many 85 roles, really, but especially characters in Brazil, she also has this really like venomous kind of evil 
edge to her mm-hmm. and like caustic indifference to to everything around her and all of that is like in this one performance and you can like feel that coming out yeah where the clownishness is like the protection people don't take her seriously because she's such she's kind of pathetic but then yeah to to exist successfully in that society you have to be a fucking snake and she is I also want to point out, too, that in any other movie, that character would have been uh, Jonathan Price's wife. Mm-hmm. All, of the th- all of the things that she does, it would have been his wife, and then he has to like stand up and be a man and not be uh, whipped anymore. And the fact that it's his mom changes everything, where he's, he's now he's like put upon, but there's nothing he can do about it. And he because it's the mom, because Catherine Hellman does such a good job, um, it feels like since it's the mom, th- this is the way things actually are. And there can't be a change, you know, like when you, when you're married, you're like, I think I could change life. But if a mom has a real firm grasp on you, it's the reality that you accept. And also until like a great, like the nanny state, you know, like the, the state right. that controls everything and directs your life. Just Fran Drescher cackling and telling you what to do. And what does that sound like? Mike? <laughs> Shit. She's building the wall. That's why she's the goat. Your nominees for Best Supporting Actress are Rosanna Arquette from After Hours, Margaret Avery and Akosua Busia from The Color Purple, uh, Mako Hirata from Ron, and Catherine Hellman from Brazil. Guys, what do we think before I open this envelope? I'm going to go... I'm saying saying Margaret Avery as Suge Avery. My guess is Lady K. As Lady K. Your winner is... Mako Harada from Ron. It is Lady Kata. I know we say we don't get points in the finale, but it does feel like I just got a point there. I, yeah. I saw that you just wrote something down. Are you keeping track of your own points? <laughs> yeah, I'm scoring us just oh for God. me. My own homebrew point system. I'm Good losing. Good for her, man. <laughs> I got to tell you. I'm excited. I'm excited that Ron got that kind of representation because I'm not sure how well it's going to do overall with so many good movies, but I feel like this is a major win for Ron as a whole. And it just went one for four as far as nominations go, whereas Color Purple went 0 for 2, and we'll see if that trend continues. Oh, yikes. <laughs> when we come back, we got to kick another movie out of the bracket. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com, and it's everything you need that's related to pop filter everything mike everything ryan everything greg everything cassie everything is there at yourpopfilter.com while you're there go to yourpopfilter.com amazon make that your new amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there that way we get a little piece of the action and amazon doesn't make sure you're also listening to everything that pop filter has to offer which includes the superhero show show a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! The next matchup, gentlemen, is number four. The Goonies versus number five, Come and See. And before we uh, say that let, we should just move on, uh, I want to point out the importance of this matchup, uh, especially to new listeners, of what it means to choose a movie for a year. Come and See, if you have seen both of these movies, The Goonies and Come and See. Come and See is inarguably better. Even if you are 
of the age of the Goonies when you watch the movie, even if uh, you were a Goonie at one point, you acted in the movie. It's really hard <laughs> to say that the Goonies is uh, a superior film. Which now I'm thinking about you. You have a kid who is Goonie age, and you instead show them Come and Z, which is that's <laughs> yeah. some fucked up shit to do. But we're not necessarily necessarily here to do that. Not a lot of people know about Come and See. None of us mm-hmm. had seen it before the season started. The Goonies is 85 as fuck. People still talk about it to this day. Is this a slam dunk? It. You could kind of give you like this is where you could jockey for position and argue. I wish I had more sports terminology. Is that or knew how to say that word? <laughs> Is that uh, there's another one coming that's very 85. We already know Back to the Future's in there, so couldn't we argue that the populist 85 slot is handled, so let's get Goonies the fuck out. I I do every battle in a vacuum, but I'm a professional. I I do things correctly. That might not be how you do things. There's different tactics. For me, there's there's different ways of determining how... Of 85 movie of the year will be chosen. So Goonies was 85 as funk. Everybody paid attention to it and everything. And nobody paid any attention to come and see, at least in America. But that's, I think, only one of the vectors. I do think we also pay attention to quality, how good the movie is. And it just dwarfs Goonies in that regard. One thing I'll say is it's kind of interesting, Ryan, that you mentioned, like, why would you show somebody who was Goonies age this, like, come and see? One thing we do have to say with Cub and C is there is an ethical dilemma with how it was made because there is a Goonies age child in Cub and C and they just absolutely terrorized him and they terrorized everybody else in making the movie. So there is that that quandary. Like I think Spielberg was maybe nicer to his kids than uh, what's his name was to to his. Or he was so cruel that they are still scared to talk about what he did to them to this day. God, well, there's a. I guess there's a grain of truth to that probably probably those kids do have a lot of stories that are like that i would like to start that rumor right now spielberg <laughs> mistreated those kids. no not specifically with spielberg but just any child actors right like i don't maybe we just shouldn't have kids in movies maybe like all just kids should be played by little adults adults in pinwheel hats i mean yeah, we're standing on their knees Corey feldman has been open recently and he was a goonie he was mouth yeah. that uh, he has got some stories uh most of them about his dead friend Corey Haim, who killed himself because of these stories. So right, and he was like laughed out of Hollywood for years for trying to tell the stories. Right, like right. Ugh. So yeah, <laughs> Goonies never say die though. Um, I, look, I'm mostly asking that question uh, about these two movies, and I think it is an important question in some battles. I'm just not so sure if it is about this one. I I grew up on the Goonies, Greg. I think you did too. We are fondish of it mike had saw it it for the first time recently less so you know like you do have to sort of lock in as a kid um and i'm saying this to i'm saying this about mike who's literally currently wearing a monster squad uh (laughs) hat this was Uh, a choice this was not an accident uh yeah i think if the goonies was better as a film and come and see was worse just a little it could be we could have an argument here but goonies is trash so, so Goonies has no merit. I don't think so. I, okay, I well, I disagree a little bit with that because I think Goonies was a movie very specifically made for the kids of '85, and I think that probably even modern kids would still be into it. But certainly, the kids of '85 loved the hell out of it. So, like, it did set a target, which was entertain the children of '85, and it did absolutely meet that target. 
it just also happens to be a bad movie because kids don't have tastes <laughs> taste but like th- this idea where you make a kid's movie that's like for everybody that's you can do that and obviously that's better if you are everybody but this was not that it was a movie for stupid kids and so it made a lot of stupid leaps that only would work for that audience i just i sort of think that and you have to do some like metatextualizing here and stuff but i think that for adults to go and make a movie for kids that kids love this much and then also uh, intended or not is a time capsule to 1985 as much as goonies is that is some merit that 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 automatically makes it not without merit yeah, it's worth something. It just also is a garbage movie. And also <laughs> up against Come and See. Yeah. Which is a wonderful movie. So I'm going to call it. Mike, where are we going? Come and See. Greg? Come and See, Ryan. My vote was, of course, for Goonies, but I have been outvoted. You're Goonies. Idiot. I don't know how much. Uh, I honestly don't know how much shit we're going to take for this. You know, uh, most of the nerds that would on the internet that would fight us about kicking out the Goonies have probably seen Come and See and understand, right? There can only be one, ladies and gentlemen, Highlander but mostly rules. gentlemen. Uh, come and See moves on. When we come back, the award for Best Supporting Actor. Gentlemen, we're back, and the next award is Best Supporting Actor. Uh, interesting about this one. Well, there's a lot of things interesting about this one. We have to have six nominees instead of our usual five because of the way that voting came out. Um, the nominees are insane to me. We'll get to those in a second. Here's who was not nomina- nominated. Anyone from Ron. Whoa. Now, we talked a lot about Lady K in the last one and about how, like, she was the, the performance that we cared about the most and we're supposed to care about the most. But does it surprise you that no other uh, supporting actor, which I would say that is everybody except for Old Man Greyhair, yeah. um, got a nomination here? Yeah, I thought the oldest son, and I don't think he even got a lot of play on our episode, but I thought he was great. Um, and so I kind of expected to him to get one. Not the oldest son. The youngest son? The, Blue. Blue son. The youngest son, yeah. yeah. But that was part of it, too, is that the oldest son dies so early, and the youngest son doesn't come in for mm-hmm. so long after his intro scene. I you think know? this might be a case of a lot of people splitting the vote for each other. Because even when you get into like the um, the entourages of the various people, the acting, it, this is quality acting across the entire movie. It's fair. It's the stylized kind of Kurosawa acting you expect. But they might have all just kind of, like, diluted it because it feels like there's, like, 50 characters in this movie. (laughs) Oh, Greg, 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 Greg. What you're saying makes sense, but you're about to see how insane you are. (laughs) Greg, the first nominee is Robert De Niro from Brazil. Okay. I, you know, Robert De Niro, you usually only get the same thing, I feel like, and I've always kind of held that against him. This is one of the (laughs) roles in which he does something different, and I think he really understood the spirit of this movie. He's not in it a ton, and he's he be, like the character Henry Tuttle is important, but I don't know that the performance stands out in this movie. I, I think it's a one-two punch of uh, we are just as <clears throat> hypnotized by Harry Tuttle as the main character is. Like he's such this Robin Hood esque hero that we're like, yeah, and it is the we we know what De Niro can do, and he is doing something so different that we're like, wow. Look at him have fun in a role. Let's give it to him. And the way that he's doing that while he's ultimately fucking up somebody's life. This guy has not asked him to come in and do this, and he gets in right. huge trouble because <laughs> he does. Uh, the other thing we have to think about, too, is that are we better than the Golden Globes? Are we better than the Emmys? We have a chance here to nominate a superstar, 
and then they're going to come and pick up their award at the studio. Like, we're going to jump That's on that true. opportunity, right? This is Robert is De Niro, this and me? I don't think he... Is this a wolf for me? <laughs> I don't see nobody else here. Robert, are you here right now? <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, I think this is our first De Niro movie that we've done, uh, if this counts. And so, yeah, no, we have to jump we on nominated. We did right Joker now. and Jackie Brown. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> we've, we've been, like, honestly, we've, we've gone all over his, like, performances. An Irishman. Is this our yeah, we've done a lot of De Niro. <laughs> Meet the parents. <laughs> Little fuckers. Well, we do quote those a lot. Rocky and um, Mike, the next movie, the next nominee is Ian Holm from Brazil. This would be Jonathan Price's uh, flummoxed this boss in the first third. The of Hobbit, eight. most people would know him from or as. I guess nerd. His name is Ian Holm. He's Ian been Hobbit, in a lot of things. Uh, yeah, he he plays like the the evil of middle management very well because he is just this befuddled idiot. So you're like, oh, he's probably sweet, but he helps the death machine go just as much as anybody else does. And he'll do. And I think he inhabits that. He'll do anything just not to get in trouble. Yeah, but anything includes like doing some really odious shit as long as he mm-hmm. himself is not going to get in trouble. He also has that thing that a lot of my bosses have had throughout the life where my life where not only are do you want me to succeed, but you want to hang out with me so bad. <laughs> and I'm just like, boss, chill back, you know? I've got my own Yeah, friend. historically, I know that's the problem you've had with bosses. <laughs> I, al- I always have to get fired because I won't hang I'm out with I'm sort of like enough. the boss of my group of friends, so I think it'd be weird <laughs> to have my real boss there. Yeah. Greg, shut up. I'm your boss. Uh, <laughs> Greg, your next nominee is from Brazil. It's Bob Hoskins. Okay. I see what we did here. We went a little overboard. <laughs> the uh, the acting in Brazil is very good. Bob Hoskins, he I think you can't have Bob Hoskins without the other guy, and I'm I'm really hoping the other guy didn't get a nomination. <laughs> yeah, then we're it's two upper butts if the other guy got one. They are. We have six nominations, all from Brazil. Is that true? No, they, we don't have time for six Brazilian <laughs> nominations, Mike. That's insane. We, nobody wants to hear us wax about Brazilians. I was joking about De Niro getting a nomination because we're star fuckers, but this is clearly the case of, oh, we know Bob Hoskins' name, even though the guy next to him gave the exact same performance with the exact same amount of screen time. Yeah, but anytime I see Bob Hoskins, I think of Roger Rabbit and Hook, his two greatest performances, and so he's always going to get an award Mermaids. Also, he died like in the last couple years, I want to say. It's hard to remember. Everybody's dying, but uh, (laughs) so I think he might have got a little sympathy for that. In this nomination? Because he might have died a couple <laughs> years ago. Okay. You asked Good for analysis. an explanation, Ryan. Uh, I know. My problem is that I read the nomination and then I pause. And I just, I should not do that. Mike, mm. the next nominee is from Back to the Future. It's Christopher Lloyd. Okay. I'm, I'm, yes. Uh, he he's, was not, he's in Brazil. not in Brazil. So that, that gives him a one up there. Uh, he's delightful. He's great. He he feels like like he could be just a cartoon, but he gives just enough grounding that you see this kind of sad, lonely old man, and you understand his friendship with Marty there. And it's never it's in no dialogue. Like it really just is behind his sad eyes while he's yelling about flux capacitors and building things to scale. Yeah, dang. Uh, this movie never bothers to explain why these two hang out. Like there's. But I thought that re-watching this movie and the three of us doing a show about it in 2020, especially post-Rick and Morty, we would spend a lot of it talking about their weird relationship. And we didn't talk about it at all. It just it just makes sense in the movie, and he's such a big part they're, of it. They're both just sad, lonely people who don't fit in, and so they found each other. And I get that. They're, yeah, do you? <laughs> there are, uh, like you know, good comedy performances, and then there's just performances that are really, really good that happen to be comedic. 
And I don't know that before this season I would have thought that his performance is that, but it really is kind of like a nuanced and measured crazy scientist performance. Can he win, though, seeing as how he did not even have the time to make the models to scale or paint them? Yeah. Not in my house. I think if he hadn't drawn our attention to it, maybe we would have let it slip through, but (laughs) he underlined it. Now we're looking at it. Greg, the next nominee for Best 49er is from Brazil. (laughs) Don't say. It's Michael Palin. Okay. This one isn't – this is no Bob Hoskins nonsense. Palin, again – No offense to the recently dead Bob Hoskins. Maybe. (laughs) Potentially dead recently Bob Hoskins. Palin is really giving the 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 same kind of performance that we were talking about with Mona earlier, where you get to see him as a coward, you get to see him as a mid-level functionary, you get to see him as a vicious uh, interrogator, you get to see him as like uh, a friend who doesn't know what he's going to do, and all of these things together really are like the culture that's portrayed in Brazil, the movie. I loved I loved watching. Let's cast a Monty Python cast member as a, a like a straight, not just a straight man, but like a square, you know, like a bureaucratic sort of father. Uh, yeah. He has kids, but barely. He, like, doesn't know um, which is which. And yeah, uh, or like he, what does he say? His he gets more kids as they get older, or there's some famous line that up. I'll plug in here later. Um, but yeah, like he didn't do funny walks. He didn't talk to dead parrots. He just played that sort of. Uh, person who looks normal on the outside and you trust on the outside and then he's just a fucking terrible piece of that, shit. I mean, that's why putting a Python in that role is perfect is because watching any of their stuff, it's obvious they have such a disdain for normies and normal life that it's like, don't be silly. Just put that, dis- use that disdain more of a scalpel than like a bunch of rubber chickens. And it worked very well. Your final nominee for Best Sporting Actor, I guess this was a surprise, but if you think about uh, us recording the show, we did have a lot of things to say. It's uh, Kei Hui Kwan from The Goonies. It's Data. Yeah. It's Short Round. He is nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Mike, what he, do you think? I think he's the best part of Goonies, and I think if you haven't seen it in a long time, you would like roll your eyes. But watching it, the what he does as the most cartoonish character that could have been awful in so many ways, he injects so much grounded humanity while he's attacking people with chattering teeth on springs if if every <laughs> kid that was in this movie had like the patience and the calmness to like, <laughs> hit his marks that this actor does this movie would not just be for children it would be like still regarded as you know one of the great kids movies because it's, it's good for anyone who watches it he's the only one of them who doesn't act exactly like a child actor would and that's what makes the performance. I, I think probably he got the votes in part because he stands out so much. He's surrounded by people who are screaming at the top of their lungs as fast as they can, and he's actually <laughs> like bringing out the the comedy in the in the in the lines. He made his chattering teeth part of his weapons, not part of his actual exactly. chattering teeth. Is I think yeah. what you're trying to say. Uh, the other thing I want to bring up too is that the Goonies has an SNL ending, which a lot of movies do. Uh, I watched a movie last night called Bill and Ted Face the Music, and it has an SNL ending where you just have all the main characters there at the end, and uh-huh. they all hug and like <laughs> congratulate and each other down. on making the movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Goonies has one, and it's always cringy as fuck. It's always terrible. And Data talking to his dad uh, is the least cringy <laughs> part of that thing. If you can do an SNL ending and not make me want to throw up, I. I, I do have to say, good. though, there is a, there throughout the whole movie, you're like, is Data racist? And if they didn't have the parents come in and they also are gadget people for some reason, 
then I think that the data might get away with not quite seeming racist. But just the idea, if he's into gadgets because he's a kid who's into gadgets, that's one thing. If he's into gadgets because he comes from like a family of gadgeteers, that becomes questionable. <laughs> well, that is their last name. His name is Data Gadgeteer. So. And the question actually is, are the filmmakers racist? And that's why they created data, right? Or data, data. Not is data racist. Yeah. Nobody thinks that he actually is a supremacist. Well, the it? things he says right, guys, about the- other races is not comfortable in all the cut- cutting room floor. <laughs> yeah, those are some weird scenes. Uh, so Christopher Lloyd and back from Back to the Future and Kei Kwan from The Goonies. Those are the two nominees not from fr- Brazil. From Brazil, we have Robert De Niro, Ian Holm, Bob Hoskins, and Michael <laughs> Palin. Guys, where do we think we're going? I think I know what movie's going to take the whole thing down. That's what I think. <laughs> I say Christopher Lloyd. Uh, I think Michael Mike- Palin. All right. And your winner for Best Supporting Actor is Michael Palin from Dang. Brazil. Mike, you're good at guessing. I'm good at guessing. Only on Well, I gave him all the answers before this. That helps. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's really surprising that he was able to fight through all of those other <laughs> Brazil nominees. Like, that's crazy. I would have gone with Christopher Lloyd for sure. But congratulations to Michael Palin. Come and pick up your award whenever you can. When we come back, let's kick out another movie. Your next matchup is the number two seed versus the number ten seed, which means right away this didn't go chalk, and we have proof. The tenth seed snuck into the Elite Eight. That tenth seed is Mashima, A Life in Four Chapters, and it's going up against the two seed, The Breakfast Club. So this is yet another classic example, guys, of populist versus art, uh, iconic versus quality, I guess. I don't know. You can say that. I don't want to throw out these words uh, about either of these two movies. Why don't you guys throw them out? <laughs> you do this job. I am so glad that we had the foresight to bring Mishima into mm-hmm. it. You know, it, uh, as you said, it wasn't chalk, and so we made a good choice. I think it might have been in part because four chapters seemed short to us. Only four? <laughs> and, it t- <laughs> and it turned out not to be. Breakfast Club, this is a movie that fell in my esteem during this show, and so I guess I... I it was a, it was okay. It's not bad or anything, but I remembered liking it a lot more when I saw it when I was like 20 years old. Now, is that because uh, of filmmaking, because of messaging, because you've become a dirty, bitter old man? Like, what do you attribute that to? Uh, <laughs> not being a dirty old man, I so don't So cancel think. that one right away, okay? <laughs> but bitter for sure. It, um, I guess because now I, I look at movies and I think about, you know, diversity a little bit more and there's none in it um because the the kids feel a little bit less realistic than they used to but i'm older than i used to be now so maybe i was a better judge of what like teenagers were like when i was yeah teenagers don't seem realistic because they are just shells of real human beings like they really are just flattened (laughs) characters in the real world wait yeah I thought that was very accurate about the movie, yeah. is that it shows what two-dimensional monsters teenagers are brains we're criminals we're athletes we're princesses we're freaks let me go through Mishima, Mishima's uh, journey. Also not a diverse movie. Going to point that out. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Good job, Mike. <laughs> Always has that comment online. Uh, in the first in the, uh, Battle of 32, Mishima beat out Witness, which is like a top 10 box office hit from that year. And then, but that we had like zero interest in. Yeah. It, I mean, we never considered. The second round, it beat out Out of Africa, the Academy Award winner <laughs> for Best Picture Look, of that year. We like Paul Schneider. And we're aware of that. I hope that's his real name. Uh, Paul Schrader? Paul Schrader. <laughs> no, I meant the guy from uh, Mad About You. 
No, that's Paul Reiser. <laughs> Damn it. Are you are you talking about Brandanowitz from Parks yes, and Rec? Yes, always. Uh, I confuse my Pauls. Uh, we, we like this <laughs> filmmaker, and so and it seemed way more interesting than either of those two boring ass sounding eighties movies. Yeah, I think that what we did, and maybe this is because this is like the fifth season of Moody instead of the first, is we were like, I think, I think we already know our opinions on that movie, even if we haven't seen it before. You know, yeah. like that is classic uh, white people uh, awards bait, right? And are we gonna just sit there and and at, like during the episode that we cover it, just be like, it was that we were right, mm-hmm. and this gave us a chance to not say that, and that doesn't mean that. Not like any movie that feels like that is going to get kicked out. A lot of them will make it in, but these two specifically were like, "Nah, bro, not right now." Especially because even though they they were award baity movies, they did not define eighty five the way some of our actual ones that made it in do. So they were also yeah. forgotten and uninteresting. So get the fuck out of here, witness out of Africa. And now I, we just we I think we're more adept at seeing movies like that coming. You know, like I mean I think we all no one was surprised by Green Book, but we like we were like, Oh man, we don't want to watch this movie and then we did and it was such a drag. And Out of Africa had like big Green Book energy. <laughs> BGB E. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a three hour movie about people being white as fuck. It, and like we talked about in yeah. the color purple show, it's let's like they sent them to Africa to just be as white as possible, you know, like that's what the movie is. Uh, so we have Breakfast Club versus Mishima. Um, how are we feeling about Mishima right now? Do you guys think that uh, even though our stock may have dropped on Breakfast Club, was Mishima good enough, as not iconic as it was, to maybe take this down? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Mishima is one of a handful of movies, and I mean that like to, to indicate that there are actually a lot of them, that I feel like changed my life from this year. Uh, it it is so good that even if you don't know about the story that it's telling you, if you don't, you're not even familiar with the director, uh, you don't watch a lot of movies that have subtitles. Like no matter what, I would recommend this movie for everybody, just because it is such a crazy different experience, and you really do like go through with an emotional experience watching it. Yeah, the the way he blends the quote unquote like present plot, and there's like a thriller aspect to that, you know, something's going to go down and flashbacks and fiction that the star of the biopic wrote and like just harnessing the themes of this guy's life and what he's writing into one coherent thing shouldn't have worked and worked so well. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I'm not sure about your use of the word coherent and I, I liked Bishima and I'm glad I watched it and I'm sure that I will bring it up for the rest of my life. If for no other reason than to like, uh, you know, brag that about how movies, how many movies <laughs> I've seen, but <laughs> the other like, uh, non populist movies on this list left me in such a different way. And this movie left me appreciative and cold. And so it isn't as I don't think I'm as high on it. And I think we talked about this on the episode, but as you guys are, you know, it is sort of an experiment that I'm so glad happened, but was not 100 percent success rate is what I would say. Yeah, I just it's central message is one that I have just like been mulling over in my mind and and which is essentially like you know, what, is there a value to action in and of itself, even if you can't think of a really good action to take? Should you just do something because then your life is defined not by words, not by what you say, but what, by what you do. And I've, the, like, how profound that message is, has been, like, revealing itself to me. So I think part of it is I didn't just like 
uh, Mishima, it actually kind of like stayed with me, and I've I still feel like things I've been reading have been in conversation with it. See, that makes me lower because I think Christopher Nolan's Batman movies covered that same thing, but like with bigger hooks. <laughs> so it's been done, Greg. <laughs> it's been done, and it's been done better, and it's been done with Batman. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, we got to go. One of these has to uh, move on. So, Greg, The Breakfast Club or Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters? I'm a Mishima man myself. Mike? Uh, I never got into chapter books. No, the reason I said Mishima, I wanted to talk about it then because I think it's going to go away because Breakfast Club, I do think, has merit and does define that year. So my vote must go that way. And I'm sorry, Greg, but The Breakfast Club moves on. Um, I was not the biggest fan of it either, but I do understand its importance. I understand why it lingers, why it is still such a part of pop culture. And Mishima just, it, it didn't resonate then, and I just don't think it resonates enough now. But I'm so glad that it changed your life. It, cha- it, cha- it changed my life. It's a loser movie for losers. <laughs> All right, fine. We'll make it Mishima. <laughs> All right. You had the power to do that, Ryan. You could have done it. You did it. Uh, Breakfast Club does move on to the final four, a movie that none of us really like. Uh, when we come back, uh, let's give out an award. Well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Guys, it's time to hand out more awards. Um, these, I would say, are the two most important awards of the evening. And so let's put them in the middle when no one is paying attention anymore. Are and we together. eligible? Can we For win the- any of these awards? Actually, uh, the awards are biggest sh- shithead and character you most want to hang out with, and I oh. feel like we should take be taking both of those down. <laughs> I quietly give these out every week. <laughs> <laughs> and still ask us to come and pick up our trophies? <laughs> yeah. Uh, biggest shithead, guys, we famously, famously, Variety talks about it all the time, we don't do best villain. We because don't. Because that's, that's whatever. That's uh, too predictable, Ryan. And this, do- as you know is the most unpredictable <laughs> night in Hollywood. There it is. <laughs> For those of you playing fantasy moody finale, uh, if you drafted Greg, you are crushing right now in that particular stat. Uh, Mike, I'm going to go to you Good. because you're less likely to say that thing again. <laughs> I don't uh, even remember it. What, what, what is the difference between villain and shithead? And may I remind you of Ellis from Die Hard. Yeah, Ellis is not traditionally the villain. Uh, he, but he well, there's is, a terrorist in the movie. Yeah, there, could, like, when t- there's a terrorist in the movie, <laughs> the, uh, another character probably will not be the villain. Uh, but he is. I would rather hang out with the Groobs than Ellis, as most people uh, would like to. Uh, nobody wants to hang out with Don Junior coked out. So <laughs> they want to hang out with Donald Trump, <laughs> <laughs> the terrorist. Yes. Uh, All right. So that I, I think, think that, that defines it. I think that was it was perfect, and I tried to stop you, but then you continued on and made it less perfect. Uh, your first nominee, Greg, is from Back to the Future. It's Mr. Strickland, the uh, Dean of Discipline. Yeah, this for me, this is a little bit of a tough one because he's just trying to do his job it to a point. You it's when so he old. starts. It's <laughs> when he starts with the like you're j- you're a loser just like your dad, 
Is this good pedagogy? Is this how no. we're speaking to our students? Are he we didn't in, learn that in a school. <laughs> is this? I mean, is he fostering a growth mindset here by saying you're a loser, <laughs> just like your father? I, I just don't scaffolding. know. Scaffolding. Where's the scaffolding? Yeah, it's bad. It's it's bad praxis, is what it is. Uh, so I wouldn't. You know, if this guy were at a conference, I would. I would. I would submit this comment on his presentation. Is he a shithead, Mike? Yeah, he's a huge shithead. He's bald. Duh. Move on. <laughs> All right, just eliminated most of our listeners. Uh, <laughs> what about Jack Lint? Already has an award tonight, Mike. Can he win a second one here? He's from Brazil. It's Michael Palin. Yes, he is also a shithead, not just a great supporting actor. He, for all the reasons you, that, that he's cowardly and a bully, he is like weak and evil all wrapped up in one. Like those are two of the worst things you can be, and he's both at once. And yeah. anytime somebody's main motivation is to not get in trouble themselves, is they're a bad person also i mean he literally tortures people right then there's that that's his job (laughs) and when it comes time to torture his friend he's like oh i wish i didn't have to but what are you gonna do it's a living that's that shithead behavior folks as far as brazil goes is he's the villain is this a no shithead villain combo no no like no the, the 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 problem with brazil is that the villain it has become is you. so diff- it is you it's inside all of us but it's become so diffused mm-hmm. right you can kill the guy who comes to report on your ducks but they're just going to send another one the next day you'll never get to who you're upset with and the people that you can get to they they can't help you that's what we mean when we say systems are broken yeah oh i get it uh greg the next nominee is miss millie from the color purple oh, oh shit fuck. <laughs> I have to say, there's a really good chance that Miss Millie is going to take this just because of of the moment here. And I just want to—it's twenty fucking twenty. I just want to point out that uh, we are not even allowed to go into how bad Miss Millie is because we're white dudes. The only thing worse than white <laughs> women. <laughs> but she de- definitely distinguishes herself as just simply so awful. She's whiny at the same time. She's brutally cruel and she refuses to see how terrible she's being at any moment and that just feels like a real snapshot of a certain type of person nowadays as well it sounds like a real shithead sounds like a real shithead ryan mike the next nominee and remember greg said no one's gonna be worse than this person miss millie uh is the nazi with a loris from come and see <laughs> so the nazi with a which nazi is that specifically uh, there's a nazi who has a loris he's the only nazi in oh, the movie the that loris, has the, that the yeah. big-eyed mammal freaky yes. thing yeah that guy freaks me out you have a freaky pet get out of here you shithead also nazi all nazis are shitheads uh there there's never been a good nazi there will never be a good nazi he's got You're that gonna... weird decadent nazi thing though that's yeah. like yeah. extra like it's extra gross on top of how terrible it is because it's like ooh, exotic pets and like dr- gold-rimmed cars ladies kind of dressed like dominatrixes it's it's awful. He's the kind of guy who makes like a bunch of soldiers carry his cappuccino machine from mm-hmm. one yeah. place to the next. It's a Sir, carnival of evil. you have had evil. a cappuccino in weeks, but I might want one today. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, the final nominee for Biggest Shithead is Troy from The Goonies. Which one is Troy? Troy is, uh, it's sort of her, like, the girl's boyfriend but not oh, the like country the, club kid the country, the country club, club kid, kid who okay. uh, takes a firework of toilet water right into the butthole <laughs> so he's yeah a shit i don't butt. know if there's anything that uh we hate right now more than like karen's it might be uh, and nazis evil 
young men who just go around terrorizing people. He's a real <laughs> Kushner type. <laughs> your nominees are Miss. Your nominees are Mr. Strickland from Back to the Future, Jack Lint from Brazil, Miss Millie from The Color Purple, Nazi with Alores from Come and See, and Troy from The Goonies. Now, Greg, Mike has predicted every single one of these correctly so yeah. far, and you have not. Uh, where, where do you think this is going? I'm, ga- it's ga- I'm gonna say Miss. I'm gonna say Miss Millie, Ryan. Miss Millie's final answer. Mike, you can stay still say Miss Millie if you think that uh, is correct, and I will give the points to you. I, I do think it's Miss Millie. I also want to point out that not, Biff is not on here. We decided the shitty principal is more of a shithead <laughs> than the butthead rapist. <laughs> well, that's the villain thing. He's the villain. Yeah. All right. But yeah, Miss Millie's it. But big shithead energy from Biff, nonetheless. <laughs> uh, uh, your winner is, for biggest shithead of 1985, it's Miss Millie from The Color Purple. How could it not be? She beat a Nazi, everybody. She beat a fucking <laughs> Nazi. Well, we all know whose side she would be on if she was in the Come and See Village. Yes, we do. We have proof <laughs> every day of our lives. Uh, the next award is Character You'd Most Want to Hang Out With. This is a weird award every year. Uh, I never know who's going to get nominated or why. Um, <laughs> but here we go. Is uh, the Loris? Like, that Loris is not, he's not a Nazi. He's that's not a, little... a Nazi, yeah. No, yeah. Nazi by association, my friends. You don't hang out uh-huh. with a Nazi that long without getting some of the traits. That's a great name for a game show, Mike. <laughs> uh, Mike, the first nominee is Harry Tuttle from Brazil. Yeah. Uh, if you want some chaos in your life and some adventure and to believe you're fighting the, the good fight, hang out with the Tuttle type. Okay. So you have a whole tagline ready for this person. <laughs> I, I, I would feel so uncomfortable with this guy. He comes into your house and makes illegal modifications. Let me decide if I want to fight the state or not. Don't you just come into my house and start tinkering. Isn't that what we're all missing, though? Is somebody just come into our house and tell us what to do? Just make us do it? Uh, yeah, it's that, that guy who comes in and gives you free cable. Like, that guy's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> the next nominee is from The Breakfast Club. It's Brian Johnson, and that is Anthony Michael Hall. And if we had to explain which of the characters from The Breakfast Club we are, we're, are we all three of us Brian Johnson? Yeah, just three Brian Johnsons hanging out. <laughs> I was a Brian Johnson who thought he was an Ali Sheedy in high school. <laughs> Honestly, I probably think, so true. <laughs> I think uh, I was. I'm closest to Ali Sheedy because she's almost like invisible. But if there was, uh, there's probably another kid that's in there who they're paying even less attention to. That <laughs> would be me. Also there. I swear. <laughs> there would be, and so that the Breakfast Club later would be like, "You weren't there," and I'd be like, "No, I was the whole time, actually." <laughs> Mike, <laughs> that was my Mike, high school experience. <laughs> Mike, the next nominee is Suge from The Color Purple. Yeah, I mean, she's going to sing. That's a lot of fun. Uh, she's going to make you feel bad, then make you feel good. That's what I look for specifically in Friends. Uh, the big upgrade uh, from you guys to Suge is that when she sees me, she's going to say how ugly I am, but then later say that I'm not ugly. You guys still have yet to do that second thing. <laughs> it's a two-part thing? We just double down. I Greg, it would be Suge, hard you want to hang out with her? It, it would be hard for me. I think I would be one of these people that is like in love with Suge. So much, and then every time there's a new boyfriend or she suddenly picks up and leaves, would just be heartbroken. But yeah, this is, I have to say, would be very like on brand for me to be <laughs> to want to hang out sounds, with Sugar Avery. That sounds like a different character from the color purple. So, Greg's <laughs> personality, if he had to explain it, was is half the sixth kid, invisible kid from <laughs> Breakfast Club, and Danny Glover from the color purple. Oh, no, I think uh, I the biggest shithead on our show is. I was gonna say Sealy, I would th- <laughs> I thought I was going for a Sealy energy. 
Greg, the next nominee is Sloth from the Goonies, as far as hanging out with. Just just hang, hang out. He seems nice, I guess. I also like Baby Ruth. That's a great, that's a quality candy bar. Icebreaker. Uh, I have nothing against him, but, um, <laughs> my God. I like how, how eggshell. Well, it's just like what? What is it? What's he bringing to the table? What yeah, are we what, gonna what do? We have what in common? Like, what's a day? What's a day like? I could, I imagine what like Suge Avery and I would do. What am I doing with Sloth? Same things. <laughs> so uh, we go to a bar and he sings a song that he wrote about me. Oh, absolutely! I, I'm okay. in now. <laughs> yeah, I'm right back there. <laughs> Your final nominee is uh, Kaomi from Ron, played by. Peta or Peter from Ron. This is the King's Jester. Uh, we all think we are funny, so it would be cool to hang out with somebody who also thinks they're very funny, gets paid to do it, and isn't at all. So I'd be down to th- hang with that. So we just ask for notes on how to get paid for not being funny? Yeah, like, you're very bad at this, but you've made a career out of it. How do we do that? His thing is, he's playing to his audience, though. And they these there's a bunch of people with zero sense of humor. And so, like, basically, he can make almost any joke. He's What's interesting in this is he's a very political character, like always saying exactly what's going on and it sort of inspiring people to do what they should really do. Um, but I don't think that guy is actually fun to hang out with, you know, yeah, where he's just like constantly preachy. Yeah, teasing you about what you do wrong. Nobody wants that. Though I have taken his famous bit of uh, when people think of the start telling a story, I just stare off at the mountains for a long time. Uh-huh. It's hilarious. It gives them every time. Or that empty, empty gourd thing. That's a good way to lampoon your boss. Uh, and it, I'm assuming that I'm Mike's boss. Anytime that Mike talks shit and then somebody goes to kill them, I will shoot an arrow right into that person. That's <laughs> I the do kind appreciate of boss that. I am. He fucking <laughs> just shot that guy. With the <laughs> <laughs> he looks and so then looked cool at everyone too. just like, stop. Yeah, you stop doing that. Uh, <laughs> your nominees for a character you would most want to hang out with are Harry Tuttle from Brazil, Brian Johnson from The Breakfast Club, Suge from The Color Purple, Sloth from The Goonies, and Kiyomi from Ron. Gotta be Suge, Mike. Yeah, that's the only actual one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> your winner is Kiyomi from Ron. That is who actually won <laughs> the award. What? How did that happen? Uh. Oh, He's but I do want to point out that the color purple will not be going 0 for 10 tonight. Miss Millie won best shit. <laughs> oh so it at least has one award. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, the final battle of the Elite Eight, Brazil versus Ron. Your number three versus your number six, Brazil versus Ron. We've had so many different types of battles, uh, high seeds versus low seeds, populist versus art. Guys, this is... This is the first one that has pained me on both sides. This is the one that's like truly fuck this, fuck our lives. Yeah, this is, the, here? this is the first really, really tough one. So it's Ron versus Brazil. And don't tell me where we're going. I'm going to ask you that later. Yeah. What I'm going to ask you now is like, how are you in very generically feeling without giving anything away for like six to seven minutes? These are both of these movies are among like the four that would have been the best. I feel like the best movie I had seen for movie of the year. Uh, and it just, I don't know what it was about 85. I think it's probably because I grew up in the 80s. And so now I understand as an adult, when I look at these movies, I understand more about what they're saying because I experienced the, the 80s. And now I can look back on it. But I don't know how much Ron actually has to say about the 80s. It's like my only Kurosawa. And I would still manage to call myself a fan of Kurosawa, I think, based on that. 
but but where if Ron isn't specifically 85, it's so timeless that still vacuums up a lot of things wrong with 85. And but with those four, it does seem like they all kind of straddle the line between this is a fun popcorny movie and we're going to brutally comment on what's going on in a way that it feels like you can't anymore. Like the Hollywood machine wasn't fully like chopping things up. Like you could make a fun or interesting artistic movie that had a message that was yeah. political. Based on that dumb bullshit that Mike just said, this is our final two is what I feel like. Like this is, this is going to be such a bummer. And I'm not saying that either one of these is going to take the whole thing down, but what Mike just said is what we're looking for all the time, right? Like that is the perfect mixture is what these two movies have of popcorn, of timelessness, of, of its time. I mean, when we talked about Ron, which takes place in the, was it the 1400s? Mm-hmm. The, probably the 1600s. 1600s. Uh, we also talked about how much we learned about 2020. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah. it, and it was made in 85, you know, like that's that's some crazy shit. An old man doing everything he can to retain his power while at the same time not wanting to take responsibility for what he's doing and then wanting to be celebrated when he's actually a monster is not something that we can identify with right now, probably, right? No, I can't think of, <laughs> I can't think of anything. Uh, it and definitely it, has that after-hours Scorsese thing of I, uh, it's time for me to reflect on the person I am and the filmmaker I am. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, Ron is definitely doing that. And it was so epic and so sweeping. I have to say, for me, it was a little less enjoyable to watch it in the act of watching it all the way through than Brazil is to watch Brazil all the way through. Well, Brazil, we we have those buttons as individuals and these days as a society that we like dystopia. And uh, apparently we like cutting because the closer dystopia is to actual normal life, the more fascinated we are by it. Like it's sci-fi, but like, <laughs> but not. And, and how interesting that is. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point because uh, we like watching dystopia. We like looking 18 months into the future, but then also seeing <laughs> like what creative ways they show that, you know, mm-hmm. like based on if I extrapolate real life to this point, I'm going to get here. And so that was all great. But then we also had the added thing of the Monty Python off the wall. That's going to be in here, too. Right. You know, and so it like it really uh, scratches both those itches that you would need that in a typical if a typical filmmaker and screenwriter was going to make Brazil, we're not getting um, it. It's not just that we're not getting these uh, flying angel samurai fights. We're also not getting necessarily the tiny car that turns out to be in part of a model of the entire city you know there's so much here that is it's what we know because of our dystopian you know past as far as fiction goes and then also so much more new Mm -hmm. for me i i think a lot of it has to do with as well as just how much it speaks to like my own personal experience and i feel like brazil because it's more in line with i don't know like you said 18 months ahead and it talks about the absurdity of fascism which i think is like an important notion is that there is fascism doesn't always try to make itself just look cool Mm -hmm. often it is like almost as intentional by design it is kind of absurd because that absurdity allows us to not take it serious as seriously as we should and i think that that message whereas you don't i don't feel like i there is an absurdity to what happens in ron but it's not in the same way that like the point of absurdity and and like th- thinking of like 
talk about that, the dangers of fascism and different kinds of uh, like government or whatever. So often when we think fascist, we think of Morton Joe from Fury Road, like obviously evil. And Brazil yeah. seems like the only one or President Snow from the Hunger Games. Like it's like, oh, clearly. But Brazil really talks about like how you distill the evil and make it feel normal. And that is way funnier, grosser, more realistic, like more fascinating because it, it, it's rare that there's just a pure dark helmet wearing guy who's gonna be like oh no that's hitler okay got it more fascinating mm-hmm. I, yeah i think the key is like we're seeing now and we've seen in other wars um the key to fascism taking over is the baby steps it took and no one was willing to step up against a baby step or willing to notice a baby step mm-hmm. and you can feel that in brazil as opposed to Mike, when you said dark helmet, as a, like there was a time when the Empire in Star Wars hadn't taken over everything, and it it didn't seem like it it wasn't just all in one day, you know? It's right. just like yeah, it's fine, yeah, it's fine, yeah, it's fine. That's how this shit always works. Yeah, it's really <laughs> more right. of a moray than a law. <laughs> it's more just an understanding. I mean, it's just because no one's done it before. How right. much bullshit is just run on understanding? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I got to do it, guys. This is the hardest one so far. It's Brazil versus Ron. Greg, what are you doing? Yeah, definitely the hardest one so far. But for me, I, it, Brazil just edges it out. And it really is just just edging it out. But I'm a, <laughs> just, I'm just going to edge here. You're an edgelord. I'm an edgelord, yeah. I, I think because Ron is so timeless and Brazil also obviously has timeless issues but hits 85 right in the jaw that it has to be Brazil. Not that it matters, but I totally agree. I loved Ron. I love talking to you guys about Ron. Uh, we got to do Kurosawa on the show. Yeah. That is probably something that we're never going to be able to do again if we st- stick in the time realm that we have talked about. But he is now gone, and Brazil moves on. Wow. I think that's the show. Mike, tell us about some commercials that listeners have heard throughout the show. Yeah, You've heard, heard Greg that. talk about something. <laughs> Ryan talk about something else. And me do. That's right. A third thing. You loved it. You hated it. They're done. Greg, tell us about uh, next week on Movie of the Year. Next week on Movie of the Year, we are going to bring it all the way down to just one movie, and that movie will stand as 1985's Movie of the Year. Unless something unpredictable happens, and gentlemen, as we all know, it's the most unpredictable night in Hollywood. (laughs) Those movies, Greg, that you're talking about, uh, it's the three Bs in a C which is what I call a date on a Thursday night, if you know what I mean. I don't, I, and I'm not really thinking about don't, it. And I don't I'm want not, to. Yeah, keep going. I, to- I told you guys before the show what that means. You've already forgotten what that means. It's I forget the, the fu- beginning of the show. That it's Back forever. to the Future and Brazil and Breakfast Club and Come and See. Those are our final four. Only one of those can be the 1985 Movie of the Year. See you next week, guys.
Highlander rules. <laughs>